HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country, to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member now. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. When the sun breaks in. Feelings always hurt. Your feelings 
fucking feeling. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, out here in LA with Maddie Matheson, chef, bon vivant, TV personality. Just all around good Jack, guy. Jack of trades. Jack of trades. Jack of trades. Jack of trades. Master of none. Master of none. Welcome to the States. Yeah. Good um, to be here. Ontario born and bred? No, I was born in uh, New Brunswick. New Brunswick. And then lived in the Maritimes uh, and then went to. Finished elementary school, like grade eight, grade seven and eight, and then went to high school in Port Colborne. Port Colborne, what's that like? Beautiful town. It's got a canal. It's great. Got a canal. You can jump in, take a swim. Does it freeze over in the uh, winter? You skate down it? Yeah. No. Uh, well, I don't. I've never, I may be the only Canadian, I've never ice skated. You've never strapped it on? I Once in grade four, didn't like it. Didn't like it. Yeah. Um, do people know that about you in Canada? I don't. I don't know. I'm not like. I'm not a fan of hockey. Not a fan of hockey. Um, pretty indifferent to most sports. So I don't know. Um, so if your love was not sports growing up and hockey, which we can edit out for when we air yeah. this in Canada, <laughs> uh, what what were the loves growing up? Uh, music. Yeah. Mostly music. First band. First favorite band. First favorite band. First favorite band. Probably like I think Sepultura, mm. Sepultura and like Pantera, Slayer. So heavy. Yeah, like all that shit. Like I think the very first tape I got was Fear of a Black Planet. <laughs> was like the first, and then like Judgment Night soundtrack on tape. 
Oh, like yeah. all that kind of shit. That and was... then I got into metal through Judgment Night. I was buying it for rap and like Onyx and that kind of stuff. I really was into that kind of shit when I was younger, like a kid. And then and then all of a sudden I was like, whoa, what's all this heavy shit? I feel like that that soundtrack had that story that went both ways. People yeah. who bought it for heavy metal and got into rap or vice versa. Yeah, man. It, it spawned a horrible breed of music. Yeah, it really, it really did. Then somebody went... Wait, what if we didn't keep them separate? What if we what if we were just one band? Um, so uh, you grew up, and then when did you move to Toronto? Uh, Two thousand. And uh, what put you around like what, like nineteen, twenty years old? When you were yeah, there? I was uh, seventeen. So yeah, I was like eight, eight, seven, nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. Um, what brought you to Toronto? Culinary school. Okay, so. From early age, you wanted to be a chef, wanted to cook, wanted to get into it. No, 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 not not that typical story. Didn't want to be like the astronaut, and you know, like I only got accepted into one school. Okay, and it was culinary. Great. So I was just like, my only thing, and I've said this before, like I just wanted to move to Toronto, sure, by any means necessary. And the only school I got, I didn't get into like UFT or any of that right. kind of shit. So, or Ryerson, because I wasn't really an art guy. So, um, yeah, I just got into culinary school at Humber College in like Etobicoke. And uh, lived, lived in Rexdale, which is kind of a classic kind of cutty spot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was the... Um like the mayor. Yeah. The mayor, Rob Ford. He, oh, yeah. Rest in peace. But he... he uh, he kind of made it famous. He was like smoking. He used to smoke crack there yeah, a lot. Yeah, that was one of his haunts. Yeah, you can just. I think you could say a Rob Ford haunt. Never. Yeah, it was like a Rob Ford haunt. Yeah, Rexdale. Um, you know, so you, you start cooking not really by choice, but just by sort of luck. Uh, what was the food scene like back then, especially in Toronto? Um, fuck, I don't even know. Like, I wasn't really into the. F- I wasn't really into the food scene. Like, there was these back then. There was like about five really well-known chefs that yeah. you could work for, like uh, Mark Tuitt, Jamie mm-hmm. Kennedy, uh, Michael Statlander, um, Mark McEwen. Yep. So those were kind of like the big boys. Like yeah. Mark McEwen's kind of almost like the Gordon Ramsay of Canada in a way. Um, <laughs> Is that a compliment? Yeah, like, no, he's like a big, very successful, Got it. powerful chef. We're buddies now. It's tons of restaurants. Fun. Yeah, tons Empire. of restaurants. Like, he's like the... Tom Clicchio of Canada on the like, Top Chef kind of shit, oh, I got you know? You. I got like you. he's like the big Canadian TV guy, and um, there was all those chefs that you could work for. And then when I um, got out of culinary school, which I dropped out of actually, why'd you drop out? To I went on tour with like a metal band. <laughs> I mean, classic. Yeah, that's a that's actually a classic answer. Yeah. When you ask most people why they drop out of culinary school. To go on tour with a metal, metal band. Um, did you just feel like at that moment that you had sort of learned what you had, had to learn? I mean, did you take to it at all? Yeah, no. I, I I think that culinary school was the first time I ever got, like, high grades because mm. it was based on – it was a trade. Like, if I cook something well, I got good grades. If I performed, I got good grades. So um, I, really, I really enjoyed cooking, and I was, like, decent at it. So – it, it it clicked. I really enjoyed it. Like, I liked going to class. And then I just, I dropped out. There was, like, I was one of those, like, you know, I don't need a fucking piece of paper to say I'm a fucking graduate. I learned what I learned. Yeah. I felt that I was confident enough to go get a job. And I, I thought that I was fine. So I, I went on tour with a, a metal band across Canada and then came back and then started working um, 
at a restaurant called Le Select Bistro. Oh, yeah. Legendary. Yeah, it's the oldest stand-in restaurant in Toronto. Like, one of the longest stand-in restaurants in Toronto. Definitely the best bistro. I mean, did you walk in and you're like, I'm going to make you an omelet and prove my chops? Yeah, yeah, no, like, <laughs> kind of. But, no, like, we, I just went in and did, like, a trial shift. And then the chef, uh, Brad Clark at the time, he uh, was like, yo, do you want, like, you can... You're good. You're good. Uh, like, like I was just like one of those things where like, fuck, I could hold a knife and I could like butcher a rabbit, you know, or something, right. or make fucking chicken liver pate, and, whatever. And then he was like, "Let me see you degree," and you're like, "About that." I'm like, I don't yeah. know. Um, so you're there. I mean, what was the the shit? Was like the the same hard partying like lifestyle that they had in New York at that time, or was it like more calm because it was Canada? No, I think it was probably. You know, I always partied hard. <laughs> I don't know about, like, you know, my chef at Le Select. He was a bit of a booze bag. But, right. like, I think, um, yeah, like, there was definitely, like, once I got in at Le Select and became, like, you know, um, friends with everyone, like, all of a sudden another door kind of opened on sure. the, the late night drinking. And, like, um, you know, there was a lot of late night drinking and drugging and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty, I mean, it's it's interesting because I feel like of that era, that was sort of just the norm. It was like the Kitchen Confidential, like, yeah. sort of like still not, because around this time, early 2000s, chefs were not what it is today. No, it was pre-fucking, inter- like, you know, it was like pre-phones and like Instagram and all this bullshit. And it's like, it was still just like cooking. Like you had to like find cookbooks. You had to like right. learn about chefs. You couldn't just like be like you couldn't just be like on Instagram watching Renee Renzepi talk about fruit all day. Right. And it's like, and uh, no diss to that, but it's like that's where we're at. You can see what the best chefs in the world are doing at any fucking given moment. And that before you had to be like, like you, it would be tough to find like a Danielle Blue book or, or yeah. like Paul Bocuse book or, you know, like it would be really difficult to find that kind of shit. And, um, and now you, everything's at, you can get anything yeah. you need. You can read reviews about why I will not be reviewing Noma in Mexico. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that, that's where we've gone to these days. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just like, Oh, I'm not going to write about Renoir at the uh, Met because no, 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 no. Yeah. Like people, that's the world we live in. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're in Toronto, you're cooking, and it seems like, um, I guess my question is, if you sort of fell backwards into this, when did it sort of click being like, this is, beyond, without the, the moment, the moment like when you're like, like, I'm not, I don't just love this, like, this is what I want to do. Um, it was a really clear moment for me. Um, it was after I worked at Le Select, mm-hmm. after I worked at La Palette, which mm-hmm. is another great French restaurant in Toronto. Um and I had an opportunity to go meet these two guys, Brian and Key, mm-hmm. uh, who are opening Odd Fellows. Yeah. And um, it was for the chef position. It was opening the restaurant. It was creating the full menu. It was going to be my, like my menu mm-hmm. through and through. And and uh, yeah, it was just it, there was this moment we were about to open. We were about a month out from mm-hmm. opening, and there was a uh, a tour. Uh. There was a tour with a bunch, like literally, like five of my best friends in band, like five bands, a full Canadian tour, a dream, you know, yeah. like just like best friends traveling across Canada for a month. And I went to Brian and Key, and I was like, "Hey, can we can we put off 
the opening <laughs> for a month, you know? Like, I was like... 26. Yo, it's my best friend. Yeah, and I was just like, I can't, like, it was, it's funny now to think about that, like, if somebody was to say something like that to me, I'd just be like, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. And Brian, Brian took me aside, kind of, and was just like, do you want to be a chef, or do you want to be, like, a roadie and, like, a cook? Yeah. Or, like, what do you want to do? And and we had this long conversation, and by the end of it, I was like, I want to be a chef. I want to open this restaurant. I want to do this. And he's like, well, then, we just built this restaurant. Be the fucking chef. Be the chef. Which is, um, sometimes those life lessons when you go like, oh, right, sorry. Yeah. Not even sorry, but like, oh, yeah. Because, um, you, you know, when you start to move in a direction away from what your friends are doing, sometimes you feel like, who am I? You question yourself because you got to take a step in a way that they're not moving. Yeah, no, it was really... Um it was a difficult. It was a, oddly a difficult decision. It was. Yeah. A, it was a good decision. Uh, apparently, you know, since <laughs> since that uh, everything. Since is, you're not roadieing still. <laughs> yeah, since I'm not, you know, living in a van and sleeping on fucking people's floors, getting pink eye. Nothing wrong with that. Just not the life no, for you. Yeah, like, I, well, I just I didn't play the fucking I didn't music. I didn't play the music, yeah. and and I didn't even roadie. I would just go and get drunk and hang out with friends, and like I couldn't even like load gear because at the end of the night I was so fucked up. I'd like drop a cab or a head or drop something and people were like yeah they were just like I'm just like the morale guy so what was it like to open up your first place I mean did you feel uh, pressure did you feel that you had to like dig deep I mean did you already have you know what's it like to put together that first menu it was oddly I think I was very ignorant at that time Mm. Um, I didn't really understand the complexity or the scene in Toronto and I opened it kind of just haphazardly I feel now looking back on it like I just made like I think it was really it was really cool because we got like really good reviews and um, or most of the reviews were really good and people liked it it was a small little restaurant so it was like 26 seats one one table communal style and I just cooked like kind of Canadian food. I had like a venison burger. Sure. We had like a fucking, uh, uh, a lamb stew for two that we would serve at the table in a pressure cooker that was pressurized. We'd release it at the table. We would do just like a bunch of bullshit (laughs) stuff, but it, it really, um, you know, I just didn't know the scene. I wasn't friends with chefs. I wasn't yeah. friends. I was friends with punks and hardcore kids, and like that. Those were my friends. I, I didn't know. I didn't know anybody in the scene. Like I wasn't like working at Le Select was. It was a job. Working at La Palette was a fucking actual pirate ship. You know, like yeah. it was fucking mental at La Palette, and so. I, I, I really didn't know chefs. I didn't know the scene. I wasn't in. I didn't work for any of those big name chefs. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't part of that weird inner circle that I now know and understand. Right. So I was kind of an outsider. Nobody knew who the fuck I was. And like the, I, still, like the first article that was ever written about me was like, who is this kid? Right. And that was like, and, and it was super funny because I was just like, I got this amazing. Um, article written by ivy knight and it was just like who is this kind of like wonder kid like where did he come from and why is this restaurant like so cool and, and crazy been, and you're like i've been here yeah like well, i was just like i was just cooking like i think it was like um you know i, I was just and not to be like i was head down trying to focus on my career i was just i was just literally just fucking cooking as a job and then this opportunity came and i took it and i was like yeah i can cook 
do I know how to do food costs properly and labor costs? No. Do I know how to make your restaurant money? No, but I can cook. I can cook. And you guys worry about that. You let me be the artist, right? Yeah. And I was just like, do you mind if I do like Coke every day and like drink beers every day? And they're like, no, it's pretty cool. Like, that's fine. And we're just going to listen to Husker Do and fucking party every day. And like, it was a really pretty good vibe at the time. That sounds like a good vibe. Uh, well, we're going <laughs> to take a quick break. Uh, I'm going to reflect on that vibe because that yeah. is, that is a gr- like, hey, I will come and work for you. I just have a couple of bullet points I need you to sign off on. I do a lot of coke and drink a lot of beer. And We have a certain amount of indie rock that we're going to listen yeah, to. Yeah, we, we, we need to have really good music. Yeah, I mean, I think music... I think if you did all that and they're like, you can have all that, but you got to listen to some really bullshit yeah. music. We're, we're going to be playing Shania Twain. Yeah, we have some really good <laughs> Frank File stuff because of the you know percentage law. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, parts and labor, and we're going to talk about uh, your work with Vice and all the media stuff. Sounds good. Uh, we have a song from the archives on Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. to talk about You and I may just disagree You and I can't relate Do you mean What do you mean You could hardly get to your feet You won't leave yourself alone How could you turn this down when it's something you needed? You left off on the telephone that you had been meaning to dial. Stop. 
welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Maddie Matheson. Uh, if you have a chance, please dig into the archive, subscribe, listen to Snacky Tunes. You can find it anywhere that podcasts are available. So um, you're in Canada. You're running your first restaurant, Oddfellows. Um, listening to Husker Do, partying. Um, when did the uh, the restaurant that I would say you probably most named for, Parts and Labor, start starting to come to be an idea? <clears throat> well, uh, part, parts came around about a year into Oddfellows. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard and Jesse, who owned this nightclub called The Social, which mm-hmm. was like a super grimy, fucking really like, it was like the street level nightclub. It wasn't like the fancy boom boom. It mm-hmm. was like the fucking grimy doing drugs, yeah. fucking in the washroom, doing coke, like unknown DJs playing and just fucking ripping things apart. Yeah. Kind of thing. And, um, they that was just down the street from Oddfellows, and they used to come in all the time and eat, and we became really good friends. And then Richard and Jesse and Brian and Key started talking and just being like, "Yo, we should like we should team up. Like we know how to run clubs, and like we do this. And you guys are like Brian and Key are amazing designers, right? Like they have a thing called Castor Design. Yeah, yeah. So those dudes are like making fucking beautiful lights, beautiful furniture, crazy shit, and really fucking interesting people. And so then we were just like. Let's let's make a big crazy restaurant. And let's take the small craziness and dude, unleash. Oddfellows was still the craziest restaurant that ever existed in Toronto. Was it because it was just like you were just so young and it was so new and no one was really like a restaurateur? Yeah, it was. It was like like I'm writing my like I'm working on my book right now. Yeah, and I'm like the chapter is called how to like open and close a restaurant in less than two years. Oh, great! You know, and it, and it's really. Like, Oddfellows was just a fucking insane time. It was, I was 26, and it was just, like, everyone was partying. The, like, nobody worked in the restaurant that was over 25, 26. Right. And, um, <clears throat> and it was just, like, a crazy, crazy fucking time. And we just didn't have any, like, we had, like, a PDR in the back in mm-hmm. the, that was just, like, a Winnebago that Brian, like, rebuilt and designed and uh, only had, like, Neil Young records in it so and, like, a wood-burning stove right. and, like, it was, like, a, it was, like, the sickest place. Right. And so, like, we would let people come and, like, people would call the restaurant and be like, hey, I heard you have this restaurant and there's, like, there's no rules. Like, mm-hmm. you, and we were just like, what? And they're like, yeah, like, we can, like, come and, like, smash stuff. Or, like, we can come and, like, do coke and, like, bring a stripper. Can we bring a stripper in your restaurant? And we're just like, what? What? And we're just like, because we were just kids. Like, we like every Sunday we would have, like, a grazing night. We called it grazing nights. And we or taco hell, which was, like, we would have, like, all you could eat Sundays. Yeah. Like, 15 bucks, all you can eat. <laughs> we lost so much money. And yeah, then, I was going to say, what are the food costs on that? Dude, it's crazy. <laughs> and so, but we just, and half of our friends would come, so, it, like, nobody would actually pay. Yeah. And we would just give beer away because we were fucked, or right. I would start pouring shots, and we would, like, give away, like, three, four bottles of whiskey every Sunday. And it was, like, a really crazy time, and and we wanted to open something even crazier. Right. Which is parts and labor because we were always like let's open up something like if Oddfellows was on acid sure and we which is a classic pitch when you're trying to go to restaurateurs yeah we're just like well we they did it all with their own money like it's crazy so we opened Oddfellows with like no money but and we opened personally with no money <laughs> and zero business plans. <laughs> but they had you. Yeah, they got me and I had them. It was amazing yeah. times. And so we opened um, Parts and Labor about a year and a half after Oddfellows opened. Yeah. And it was like 100, 
it's about 136 seats. We got an old warehouse out in Parkdale. There was only literally two other restaurants in Parkdale at that time, like way ahead of the. Which has changed just a little bit. It's changed a little bit. Parkdale yeah. now, it, it's, um, it's changed. For I think for the better, man. Yeah. Like I, I, I lived in Parkdale for 14 years. Yeah. So it's like, I really, that's my home. Yeah. You know, Parkdale's my fucking home. I've lived there for a long fucking time, and. We just wanted to, I wanted to add to it. I, and like, we got some flack from people, you know, we're gentrifying and all this sure. shit. Like, there was no fucking restaurants. There was local kitchen and wine bar and cowbell that was right next to us. And when we opened up, it was still fucking, it was so cutty and like, <clears throat> all everyone like we would open the back doors where the kitchen was like every time we opened the doors there was somebody getting a blowjob or shooting up fucking sure. heroin and like smoking crack and it was just like the back alleyway is just like a crackhead highway yeah so it's still pretty pretty cutty but um yeah when we just opened up this like large communal kind of dining room like eight tables just you can fit 12 people at each table, massive, really long bar, three chef's tables in the kitchen. And we wanted to do something really cool. So, like, I was like, yo, I'm going to start wearing, like, chef whites again. Yeah. You know, like, I'm going to put chef whites on. We're going to have, like, this big, crazy restaurant, but we're going to wear, like, chef whites and, like, try to do kind of, like, really nice food. And, um, and we're going to have a, a live music venue in the basement. Hmm. And there's going to be, like, no windows. And pe- we're going to be able to smash beers. Like, downstairs will be this crazy fucking bar. And where you can like destroy everything, and then upstairs is going to be this crazy kind of restaurant, right? With serving nice likes. food, yeah. It right. was, we wanted that weird juxtaposition, that really high, low, tight, and fucking how, loose. And, and how did that work out? It kind of it, it was crazy. It was crazy when we first opened. It was fucked because nobody knew what the fuck it was. Right. And with Richard and Jesse involved, it was like very much like people would come and like at eleven, twelve o'clock, the upstairs would just turn into like pretty much not a nightclub, but like a giant bar. Sure. Like we had our restaurant has a capacity for four hundred and seventeen people. Right. So we were over capacity every fucking night for for two years almost. Right. And are people ordering food or are they just like drinking and partying? People were well after eleven, yeah. People yeah. were just partying. But like we were a full blown restaurant yeah. and like music wouldn't start downstairs till midnight. And so like it was like a full blown restaurant. But it was still the vibe was so crazy because it was like it was so it was just a warehouse. So like it was really loud. We played really loud music. What were you playing? Anything. We would play any we would play rap, we would play like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, we would play like Husker do we play yeah. like all this shit like I would fucking walk in there and put like Pantera on or Slayer like we would crank Slayer like whatever the fuck we wanted like I would go in like mid song just like switch it or, right. like like there was no like rhyme or reason to the vibe we were just like whatever we wanted and then as soon as we got wasted me and Brian would just like DJ right so it's just like a big clubhouse yeah ab- absolutely and so the scene uh, I mean how deep were you into the scene Deep. Like it was deep my the, world. Yeah. I, I created, we created our own world. We had fucking amazing bands, you know, like Mac DeMarco would play there all the time. Fucking Ty Siegel, Ty Vec, uh, Holy Fuck, Fucked Up, Career Suicide. Like all these, like everyone would play yeah. there. Like every, like it was like really fucking cool. That's awesome. It's like the dream. Yeah. Like it was like we would see like dumb, dumb girls would play. Like it was like every band before Pitchfork was even on it. Right. was playing Parts and Labor. They just had like an A&R guy for Pitchfork in the basement. Yeah. Just sort of like, like Mark Pesci, the guy that 
was our promoter was like this dude who was doing amazing things and like really well connected like Vivian Girls would play there all yeah. the time and like that whole like it was right at that time of all that jangly fucking yeah, yeah, rock yeah. and roll I, shit yeah. that was like <laughs> super fucking like punky shit and like which was like a massive party vibe which we loved and so it was just an amazing it was it was an amazing time it was just like out of control it was an out of control kind of place and around this time also you started getting into um like doing video work and being a host or stuff right yeah like i started well uh 2013 yeah around that like i guess like three years into parts and labor vice started doing food right like as soon as I saw their first munchies yeah. with, like, David Chang, oh, yeah. I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And then all of a sudden they started doing munchies, and I was like, what the fuck are they doing? I was like, this is amazing. I was like, because Vice was like, the um, Vice used to have stores. Yeah. Oh, I remember them. On Lafayette in New York and yeah, all around. Yeah. yeah. So the one, the Vice store in Toronto was across the street from Le Select. So I would go there and hang out all the time and go to the parties and yeah. smash shit and do drugs and, like, be a part of that whole Vice scene. And um, and then when they started doing food, I was like, fuck, I can contribute now. Yeah. Like, I never felt like I had a place. Sure. And and I always loved Vice. And I reached out to, like, the dudes at Vice Canada. And I was like, yo, like, when when can I do something? Yeah. I'm like, I'm the, fu- I'm the guy. I'm your guy. I'm the guy here. There's never been a, a more guy than me to yeah. be your guy. So they were like ah we got this thing we want to do something really crazy with you and i'm like okay what's that and they're like we want to do like this thing called hangover cures mm-hmm. and you're going to take a chef and go get them as drunk as possible and then the next day they're going to cook you a hangover cure awesome and i was like that sounds like the best thing ever and so we shot four of them one never aired because it was too fucked like you guys got too drunk no we didn't get too, we got too drunk every fucking time <laughs> but um it was just it was hairy it was yeah yeah, I mean, and, and there was some like weird legal shit. Somebody tried to like sue us, right? Because right, they right. said we stole the idea, and I'm like, who has done this fucking idea? Like, it was like a really wow. funny thing. But somebody tried to like sue us. Yeah, and uh, that's really funny. It's like, no, 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 no. I had this idea first. Yeah, and I'm just like, I still haven't. Se- the people who tried to sue us, they've never put out any content that even touches or looks like yeah. whatever the fuck we were doing. So it was pretty funny. Um, <clears throat> and then. Um, so you, you got the restaurant, you're doing this, you do parts and labor, burger, right? Yeah, but we opened P&L Burger because I won, I, I went on some stupid TV show, Burger Wars, and I didn't even know what it was. And, like, they came in. They're like, hey, we want to shoot this thing where you make a cheeseburger. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then they came in, I shot it, and then all of a sudden um, I won. It was just like a thing. It wasn't like a competition show. They just came to the restaurant. I cooked burgers and I gave them to like six people and they ate the burgers. And then I guess they left. And then like there was like a weird deliberation. And then I went to this other place and they were like, oh, I won. And so then That's the most Canadian competition show. It's like. Yeah, it was like like not even a competition because they shoot everything separately. And I didn't even really know. It was, like, I, I don't know. Because the show never aired. It was the first season. So I didn't really know. And then that came out in, like, in August. And all of a sudden, our restaurant, like, turned into a fucking burger joint. Right. Which broke everyone's brain. Right. Which And I've heard it before about restaurants who get known for their burger is, like, it's a blessing and a curse. And it, then it becomes a curse. Yeah, dude. It, it's dark. And it, it's just, it's not fair to the cooks. It's not fair to the price point, you know, yeah. like the like it really sucks. Somebody's sitting in your seat and they're just coming in to eat a cheeseburger to try the cheeseburger. They're going to ha- maybe have a beer, maybe, you know, and they're not trying to get like a sixty seven dollar ticket nah. of like an app 
a main, a, you know, a yeah, couple drinks. maybe a bottle of wine. Yeah, that never happened. So parts and labor all of a sudden turned into this weird nine oh five. People driving from out of town, people coming up and lining up, and it really fucked with us because it fucked with our vibe. Yeah, and we couldn't control it because you're like you can't choose who comes in the door, right? And so. It kind of like weirdly split off our regulars a bit and it turned into a bit of a thing. And then we were like, we need to deflect this. Let's open up a fucking burger joint. And our buddy had this uh, space downtown and he was kind of going through it. It wasn't really clicking. Yeah. And he, we had a few conversations with him and he's like, yo, we can flip this quick because Brian and Key like build everything. So we went in and within a month we flipped it that's crazy yeah so we flipped his restaurant in a month and built PL burger with like thirty thousand dollars now did you take the burgers off parts and labor and be like if you want a burger you have to go to this restaurant no but we, people just knew to go to that place if they wanted the burger no because it was even no it's still it didn't really even change <laughs> anything because people want to go to the original spot right. and all this kind of shit and like even PL Burgers, we closed it because it was just a headache. And like we were like, this isn't our dream. We're not going to like roll it out. We're not trying to make a Shake Shack. Right. Canadian beef is very expensive, and mm-hmm. to get anything that you can even like mention where the fuck it comes from um, is expensive. So to try to sell something that's under ten dollars that costs you know three dollars a pound, like you're fucked. So it really. Um, it, it, we we had a like the conversation to close it was literally like it was doing well it just yeah. wasn't like it was just more of a headache than anything like it was nobody wants to cook fucking burgers so it was kind of difficult to keep kids there working at minimum wage because it's just a burger joint it's not yeah. like you kind of have any chefs going there like no. really like Oh, I'm really going to make bang, the best make, make burgers the, ever. I'm going to make the best burger to the exact specifications that you have for me. Yeah, so it kind of fell off, and I started traveling a lot, and, you know, I take some blame on it, and the quality probably fell off a little bit. And we just w- came to that decision where we were like, they called me and were like, hey, what do you think if we close P&L Burger? And I was just like, sure. Sure. And they're like, we're closing it. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, cool. They're like, cool. like this conversation is going to go one of one ways. <laughs> yeah. At, or maybe two if you say no, because then you might be upset. Yeah, but it's like, really, I was just like, whatever. So around this time, you're traveling more, and you also decided to get sober. Yeah, I got sober like three and a half years ago now. Um, and yeah. so with this all around the same time, like close the restaurant, do more media, or did everything just catch up to you? Everything just kind of kept going, and all the TV, like the internet stuff turned in, like the hangover cures, and then I started doing those how-to videos, yeah. and then I did like Keep It Canada. Which is awesome. Keep It Canada, I watch it sometimes, and I just laugh, because it's like, it's kind of crazy to watch. I mean, it's- It was just like a bunch of kids not knowing how to make television, going out and like trying to make a weird food I would watch it on Delta show. when I would travel. I'd yeah. be like, is this on here? I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh, wow, okay. And I watch it. It's great. It's a real, I mean, it's a love letter to Canada. Yeah. But, I mean, was everything just, like, was it just, like, a ton of things? Just, like, the the partying and the restaurant and, like, the media and, like, everything. And you're just, like, I got to put, and you had a son and a wife. Yeah. Like, did it just all, you're, like, I got to clean this up. Yeah, it just came kind of to head. Um, you know, I had I had my heart attack at 29. That's a young age. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, had, a, I had a heart attack at 29. And then... And then I kept partying because I had this, like, Superman ego because I didn't die. Right. So then I partied for, like, two years after that, kind of secretly, mm-hmm. not really secretly, 
Cause uh, an open secret. Yeah, it was an open you saw, secret. It's like the thing where it's like, no, 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 yeah. what I'm doing. And I'm just like, like, I just had to find like new drug dealers because none of my drug dealers would sell to me because they didn't want me to die. Drug dealer with a heart of gold. Oh, love those guys. Love those guys. They, great guys. Great guys. <laughs> and um, so then, yeah, yeah, I just kind of went, kind of, I, I turned into a little bit of a sketchy dude because yeah. I had to go to like kind of sketchier parts of town and start hanging out with different people. Oh, yeah. Like people who don't necessarily have your back. Yeah. Well, no, just people that want, I'm just hanging out in weird fucking situations. Yeah. Just being at every single after hours or getting kicked out of every after hours. And could you just, still listen to Husker do at the after hours? Oh, I wish. No, <laughs> I was just playing like fucking, I don't know, just deep house. Oh yeah. Deep. Just you you <laughs> know, it's a bad scene when you're looking around, you're like, I don't know you and there's deep house on. Oh my God. You're just alone on a couch. Yeah. Keys. Yeah. Oh man. It's a dream. It's a, it's a I still dream. remember it like yesterday. <laughs> and you're just like, you're like, yeah, I did that. Yeah. But you came through it. Yeah, man. No, I, um, I really came out. Uh, I'm really thankful for it, but, um, yeah, no, I had an intervention by some of my best friends. Uh, That's good. It, it was good. It was really good. And then um, I stopped. I listened, and I started going to meetings and doing all that kind of stuff. And um, it really it it changed my life. It, I, yeah, and I can imagine that. I mean, with these restaurants being built around you, the shows being built around you, and you having the sort of like personality of like the party guy. Yeah. How did it feel to be like I'm not I'm I'm a different type of party guy now. It was tough. It was scary. It was, um, I was really confused. I didn't really, I was just like so afraid that people wouldn't like me, you know, all the typical stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I found out that people actually just like me and I was like a psycho that just always was, you know, on drugs, trying to give people drugs. And all of a sudden I was just like, oh yeah, not everyone wants to do drugs all the time. And I was just the psycho and everyone wasn't even partying as hard as I was. So I'm actually cool. Yeah. And like, this is, everyone's like cool. And, and it really became like, um, really empowering to be like, every time I met someone new, they didn't know the old me. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was just like, oh, I can just actually be me all the fucking time. And and just be a nice dude and like have fun and like in a different way and like I don't have to stay up till you know eight a.m. blowing lines with somebody for them to be my friend. Yeah, you can like go home, like I'm going home, or I'm not even go going to, out. I can go to bed. I can go to bed at like eleven. <laughs> you know, I can. You can go have a nice dinner before eleven and go Absolutely. home and and have cherished moments. I mean, look, there is something to be said about having a nice dinner with your wife oh. and going to bed. And then just hanging out with your family. Like, oh it's God. the best stuff. And you, you go like, oh, yeah, this. Yeah. So now that you're on the other side, you have a new show, which is The Hangover Show, right? Like, they took The Hangover Show, and then they, like, respun it because you're sober now? <laughs> dead yeah. Set on Life? Yeah, Dead Set on Life. And then Dead Set on Life is just, um, it's, you know, a, a Maddie show about going around, meeting people, eating food, and... Uh, kind of just seeing what's going on around the world. Yeah. And just like it, it's really like I'm not trying to get too deep on things. I'm just trying to like meet people, interesting people, put people on and uh let food be like the weird foundation of it and then like let everything kind of grow out of that and see what what's going on with these people and where they they're coming from, where they're going 
and just see what's 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 going on. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always felt that you can learn a lot about people if you share a meal with them, and then if you see how they make their meal and where they get everything from, yeah. you can really learn a lot about them. No, nah, for sure. Like, I think it really, it, it's, food is like the greatest thing in the world because it's like, you can really, like, there's nothing, there's nothing. Like, look at, like, the partying. I used to think could really bring people together. I used to think, you know, oh, I did like an eight ball with that dude last night. We're best friends forever. It's like you can really get a lot more out of somebody if you're just sitting around eating and having a good time or cooking for somebody. Cooking for somebody, getting cooked for is like you can't can't beat that, like Mm -mm. actually. And that's like reality. Like you can't beat going into somebody's house and then cooking you a meal or somebody coming into your house and you you reciprocating that and like that is the thing that really draws me in to just like that that it's okay not to party it's that old me is fucking dead yeah and gone and it's like this whole new thing is just like i think just an amazing time to to kind of spread that love and like positivity through food and like get to travel and, and just meet people. You know, it's really interesting, like, the people that I still stay in contact with through the show and or just, like, reach out to me after the show airs and they're, like, so happy with it. And, like, that kind of shit really, really drives me to, like, keep making stuff. And, like, just, like, it's a really kind of... It's just really inspiring to to meet these people and, you know, for them, like, showing me just, a, like, an ounce of what they got. You know? Yeah. Well, I think you're getting a lot more than an ounce. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing some time with us. Um, people want to follow you. Where can they see your uh, travels, exploits? Uh, I guess follow my Instagram at Maddie Matheson. Okay. And if they want to see the shows, where can they see the shows? You can, if you just go on, like, Viceland, you can watch all the shows on Vice. Well, not really, but you can find out a lot of information <laughs> on the shows on Viceland. You used to be able to watch everything online. Yeah. Then you they got a TV channel. Uh, yeah, and then they kind of put the kibosh on that. Yeah. But you can still go on YouTube and watch all. You can go on YouTube and watch all my Keep It Canada. Yeah. All the Hangover Cures, all my how-to videos, and check out all that shit. Which is like, if, if people have just followed me from like Dead Set on Life and that kind of shit, yeah. I was like, I really press you to go onto YouTube and watch some Keep It Canada. I agree. Because that shit's like buck. Like, I still think like there's nothing really like Keep It Canada. No, there. it's great. And uh, as a fan of that show, especially it's gotten me through some uh, early morning flights on Delta. I, yeah. I appreciate it. So, um, <laughs> Thanks for coming down. Yeah, Thanks man. for hanging out. Uh, we have a track in the archives, um, then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine, and how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm Darren Bresnitz. This is Greg Bresnitz. We have Boston in the house. Hey, Boston. What's up, Hello. Boston? Hello. Wait a, thanks for driving down for this, guys. No problem. We were just talking about uh, Anna's Taqueria, which is my, still today probably number one burrito spot, quesadilla spot. I disagree, but it's good. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, so thanks for coming down. Yeah. Hey. What's, what's, what's your spot? Uh, it's not in Boston. It's, uh, it's a little bit outside of Boston. It's called uh, Tacos of Pita. Okay, so I'm talking about in Boston. Oh, then I guess I guess you're pretty. You're, I, would, right. I would actually <laughs> say Habaneros is my favorite. Habaneros is really good. That's in Alston, like right in the heart of it. Uh, okay, I think that may have. Uh, I mean, it, it has been like what eight and a half years since you've been there. Nine uh, years. Nine years. Nine years. So did you live there? <laughs> I did. I went to. Uh, I lived in Alston Rock City. Oh, oh okay. Had a house. Did shows. Cool. Yeah, you never heard of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, well, I want to introduce yourselves. Who you are? What you do in the band? I'm Carl. I play guitar. I'm Nick, I play drums. I'm Mike, I play the bass. So I know the band has had a number of incarnations with Carl, you just being solo, and then you guys came in this year, but you want to kind of take a little bit back to the beginning and just give us the, the origins and how you guys got to here in this room defending different taco places <laughs> to guys in Williamsburg? Well, the truth is we've been defending taco places since the beginning. <laughs> uh, uh, no, uh, yeah, uh, I started like when I was... I want to say I was, like, about 18 years old, so that had to be in, like, 2007. I started writing songs and recording them uh, just on my own under this name. But I didn't really have any intention of having it always be, like, solo stuff. Right. So after a while, I got really bored of just doing solo shows and stuff and eventually had people play along, and eventually I wanted something solid and actually have like a solid lineup and now we're at this how loud were you when it was just you was it how loud were you when it was just you <laughs> oh oh very quiet in fact one one of the shows that i had that was like i am done with i have to do this electric now was just like a house show playing acoustic and there was a just a, like a bunch of drunk guys just yelling at me which is like <laughs> Yeah, you think you're Bob Dylan, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and it was terrible. So you really were like, all right, fuck this extreme. I'm going to the other side of this. Uh, <laughs> well, then you had your Bob Dylan Newport moment, right? Yeah. When you plugged in? Yeah. Everyone was pissed. Yeah. Oh, so angry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we actually, we had a, a baby uh, sitting outside of the studio, and we had to move the baby inside because of uh, what's about to come. Why don't, why don't we get a song? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll do a all song, right. and then we'll, we'll come back and talk more, but... Uh, you know, a little bit less talk, more rock. Uh, give us a second to re. Uh, re what song are you guys going to play first? Uh-oh. Uh oh. Oh man. Uh, 
We're gonna. Nope. If I figure this out. There's a little hole there. Already coming and breaking shit. Not even one song in. Oh boy. Here we go. I guess. There it is. Who do you think you are? All right. What's the first one you're gonna play? Uh, love is a song, not an answer. Okay. Uh, live on Snacky Tunes. We'll be undone We'll be deemed impossible Oh, I felt your sign Along with my sweet little boy One last song one love song I don't know how to read it I know, I know how One love song One love song I don't know how to read it I know, I know how I can shake it Michelada down. Michelada down. Michelada down. Uh, I, I will have to say this is the first time that I've had to wear headphones in the studio. It's... I, oh, man. These people are not happy. <laughs> They're okay. Uh, what kind of bands usually play? Like uh, it's like the first incarnation of this band. No, it's oh, fine. Right, it's yeah. Sunday. We wanted to kind of bring in the rock a little bit uh, on Sunday. So, um, yeah. So let's talk about the, the new record. Uh, you know, it's an evolution from the last one that you did, which was a little bit more home studio. Um, what was the, you know, what changed the process and what, you know, how did you guys approach this differently? Somebody want to take this? So I can <laughs> fix this microphone again. Yeah. Um, I just joined this band, man. I don't know. Yeah, Nick, well, yeah. Uh, well, we had plans on making a record uh, when we were last on tour. And our drummer quit the day we got back. So it seems like... A shocker. Yeah. And 
he, I don't know, he was like really hating us, and uh, and so it ended, and I just thought the band was gonna be over, and then it, Nick just immediately well, holding if it, if it was a solo project to begin with, I mean, the only person who, I yeah. mean, how does that work? Well, the thing was, I finally been like be- become accustomed to the idea of it being a band, and I felt like these people have their roles in the band. If if uh, he's gone, then it's it's over. And also, it's very hard to find a good drummer. And uh, I was very happy with Nick jumping in, though. I feel like drummers and actually the drummers and bass players, it depends on like certain scenes. It's like one or the other interchangeable that it's hard to it's hard to find. Yeah. And in Boston, it's drummer. I mean, yeah. everyone wants to be a guitar player, you know? Yeah, every, yeah. that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, so you guys reformed, uh, new new drummer, and then uh, you decided to get in the studio. Yeah, yeah. I joined in uh, last March, and then right from there, we like had some practices, played some shows, and then we just kind of immediately went to the studio. Yeah, and I yeah. was only playing with the group for like two months at that point before we started to decide to record. Yeah, and. Uh, but Nick had gone on a... We had toured with his other band, so he was, like, pretty uh, familiar with everything. Gotcha. What other bands? Uh, my other band's called Big Mess. Okay. Yeah. You also want to shout out other people in the, who you play with in the Boston scene? Because I know you guys come from, like, a pretty tight group of bands. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, Name them out. Call uh, them out. Well, obviously, like, Pile. They've been kind of uh, the most... Uh, popular, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but, but, but like you can, say, you can say the word popular. Yeah, okay. I mean, Pile's like also pretty like influential too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they. I mean, they're the one of the bands that's actually like doing it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what does that mean? They're act, they're like doing nothing, it for the right reasons yeah, and not. There's, there's no like they're always working on things and yeah, always yeah. having rehearsals. They're just like working on the craft, practicing and, a lot. And they're the one band that I could say that like absolutely deserves everything they've gotten. Like and they've gotten they've gained a lot of popularity like recently in the past like two years and like it's nothing sketchy it's nothing like weird it's just all they just didn't like, sell out yeah it's all deserved yeah like, just a great yeah. bunch of guys I'm also like roommates with them too so it's like <laughs> it's a good living situation can, can I ask now that I guess I'm ten years removed from like the DIY Boston scene is is there still selling out like I feel in well, this day and age I don't I, I don't know I mean, what actually not like, that is it's not like it's not like I don't know. It's not like selling out. It's just like you know they like they 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 stick they they stuck to their roots, I guess, and they still like people like they're still really popular and like they I don't know they just rule. Yeah, that's it. Like, I don't really know <laughs> what else to say. No, that's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Ruling is an acceptable yeah. answer. And then there's there's a couple there's a couple new bands. Uh, uh, there's Chandeliers. Those are good friends of ours. Um, Fat History Month. Uh, ski mask. Wait, Fat History Month? Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, sneeze. Krill. Yeah. Um, New England Patriots. <laughs> no, that, the Googleability on that name is probably pretty hard. Boston, yeah, right. New England yeah. Patriots. Yeah. It's, band. It's, it's Boston so, Red Sox. So. Yeah. <laughs> and so where are you guys playing? Are there house shows? Or are they venues? or what are we There's not about? so many house shows anymore, but... Yeah, we used to play like a lot of house shows. What happened? Cops. Cops. Yeah, Cops. basically it. Yeah. I'm not a cop. It was like yeah. a it was like a span of a week, and they just like 
as far as Boston goes, there was like a span of a week where they just like Fuck took everything. care of everything. Oh, like, wasn't wasn't there that thing with that cop on the message board? Yeah, yeah, yeah Joe yeah. Sly. Joe Sly. Yeah. 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 Did they ever find out who Joe Sly actually was? He's still puking green beer. Oh my god! <laughs> so funny. That was the lamest. I like DIY there. concerts. Yeah. What's who the best likes uh, DIY just, concerts? Uh, there was a, a cop who like joined like uh, Twitter and yep. message boards. And he's like, I, I like DIY concerts. I'm still puking green beer. Where's the next show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very inconspicuous person. Yeah. And, yes. and his name was Joe Sly. Joe, Joe Sly. Sly. Like, literally. And his <laughs> Facebook picture was, like, a drawing? It was, like, an a... MS Paint drawing of, like, a punk with a green mohawk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, they, yeah, I'm not a cop. And then yeah. you, <laughs> ha- you, you have to tell me. I, I'm... And then there was another person that was, like, messaging a lot of people who was a cop, clearly, because her it was a, supposedly a woman and her Facebook picture was like her with two people and like the two people were like ta- Facebook tagged as like Justin Bieber and the bass player from <laughs> Slipknot yeah they like they spent like no time on background stories yeah, yeah. Yeah. no not at all they're like these kids these kids aren't savvy yeah. they have no idea um, why don't we get a, another song yeah sure cool sure, yeah. and we might have to buy that table outside around the beers yeah. or by the looks of it a bottle of wine but We'll go with it. Um, what are you guys going to play? This, this, what's the name of this one? Do you want to do River? Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, this song's called uh, Where a River Starts and Ends. Return to the ocean 
was all it was for. Remember, you're gonna be. So, I mean, since you guys just kind of formed as a, a band and you're ready to go to the studio, I mean, usually it takes years to get chemistry, and that record is really tight and really good. So, was it just kind of, you know, clicked naturally, or how did you guys feel through the, the process? Uh, these guys are really good at playing their instruments, so that definitely <laughs> helps. Thanks, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm a complete idiot. When it comes to, I I have no guys. That's real... why you jump in. You say no, 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 no. No, no I I've, <laughs> I I have no real good training at all, and they they they're good at making sense of it all. It's good songs, dude. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. You guys, you guys cook. You guys eat together. Do you guys uh, like hang out like that? We don't hang out. No. <laughs> no, no, we hang out. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, do we cook together? I don't know. Hang out, grab meals. Carl's made me dinner before. What'd you make? What did I make you? Uh, I like spaghetti. <laughs> oh, I, th- yeah. I think I think I've actually cooked for both of you at some point. Oh yeah, as well. you made me that pork stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you pork stuff. Yeah. yeah, I made that like a good old like pork and sriracha sandwich. Yeah. for you and some kind of pasta thing for you. I That's think. right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So what do you guys got coming up this fall? You guys touring more? Yeah. yeah right. And the record's coming out middle of this month, right? Yeah. I think yep. so. Very soon. Big shout out to Dan. Yeah. He's out there. Hell yeah. Thank you, yeah. Dan, for setting this up. Wu-Tang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's, uh, tell us about the album. Tell us about the tour. Uh, the tour starts uh, a week from Thursday. So yeah. next, on the 19th. Next Thursday, the ni- yeah. And uh, it'll be for three weeks through the Midwest and like back up the East Coast. Um, you can talk about the album, huh? Um, the album is gonna be out in like uh, right before we leave. Yeah, uh, yeah. the seventeenth. Two, day, two days before we leave. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, so yeah, we actually have the records. 
Um, we just have to get the covers. And, uh, and just get the sleeves. And we're ready to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you press final. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Dan helped us out with his label, Exploding in Sound. Yeah. Uh, Boston-based label called uh, Midnight Werewolf helped us out, and then a Louisville label called uh, Sophomore Lounge helped us out. Yeah. So the three of those combined. It's pretty yeah. amazing. How yeah. did you? How were you able to get all three to come to together? That's um, a good question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like they're all three labels are like kind of of the same mindset, was helping helping yeah. helping smaller like DIY yeah. bands out. So it kind of just all made sense. Yeah, all friends. They're all good friends, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we're going to uh, find time to get one more in here. But what are the nuts and bolts? Yeah, get, people can find you. Uh, can they pre-order the album? or? They yeah, they can okay. pre-order the album at the Bandcamp. Um, I don't know the Bandcamp address off the top of my head. I think it's just calmarks.bandcamp.com. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe, yeah. I believe yeah. you're correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Leave it can... to the drummer to know it, which yeah. no one ever says, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can pre-order it there. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, we'll be sending them out like awesome. And then next week, Instagram, yeah. Twitter, email, Facebook town, Facebook. We have Facebook, and that's it. Okay. Yeah, and you can always write one of the labels. You got to get that Instagram feed up for the tour. None of oh, Not, he's, he's got. A oh, he's the only one that has a smartphone. Yeah. Oh. Okay. okay. I guess I have to do that now. What do you rock? <laughs> flip, flip, flip phone. Yeah, the iFlip. Yeah. I, okay. I got. I got a Go phone. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Um, all right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, joining us. Um, this is our first uh, Sunday Snacky Tombs. I'll actually will be doing our last Monday show tomorrow. I'll be in Chicago. Uh, I'm going to step on out and go hug the, uh, hug the staff on this last one so they don't <laughs> murder us. But uh, I'm going to let Darren take this out. Uh, well, I want to thank everybody. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Heritage. That's thank you short, right? to everybody who put up with us. Uh, and uh, we got one last song, and then we'll be back next Sunday. Uh, with another awesome show and some more beer drinking. Um, here we go. This is probably the last live band. We're allowed like one live band, uh, like super loud live band every two years. Uh, it was. I can't even remember as I long ago. Oh, I can tell you uh, in one second. It's not going to matter. All right. Uh, what song? What song are you going to play? What song are you going to play for us? Oh, it's the, it was the Death by Audio guys side project. Um, what song are you going to play for us? Uh, parking lot. Okay, well, here we go. Thank you so much uh, for being on Snacky Tunes. We'll be here next week with uh, some more. We just got some more stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be a lot of, of good stuff. Um, here we go.
listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.